Now, I, I laughed because in first service, I was standing in the back uh, during worship for the first two songs waiting on my family to get here, and a mosquito bit me on the back of the neck here inside the church. Now, I don't know what's happening with the mosquitoes right now in Orange, Texas, but they have been crazy and intense. It's like we're living in the wilderness or something. Have you ever been in the wilderness? Uh, that's where our story takes us today. I'll tell you a little bit of sto- little story going into this. Uh, many years ago, my dad and I had the, uh, the privilege to go to uh, Nairobi, Kenya, and Africa on a mission trip. And we had one free day, and so we went on a safari on the Masamara, which is on the backside of the Serengeti. And we were going to sleep that night out in the wilderness. And so our guide brought us to this tent. And meanwhile, I'm, I'm walking through this tent. So it's on this little island. We go over this bridge. He takes the bridge and moves it to the side so nothing, nothing too wild could get on the island with us. But there were baboons everywhere. And our guide told us, he said, be sure you have your luggage closed good and be sure when you go in your tent tonight to bed down that you zip that zipper all the way to the floor and you lock it or you'll wake up with multiple baboons in your tent. So as me and my dad walked into this tent, there was a cot by the door and there was one in the back of the tent. And I told my dad, buddy, tonight you're sleeping by the door, pal. And uh, no baboons for me. But I tell you that to say this, our story takes us this morning to a voice crying out in the wilderness. And so we've been journeying through the book of Luke, the cradle to the cross. We've looked at the cradle. We've seen that God had this special calling. Uh, he, he came to Zechariah and Elizabeth. He said, you're going to have a baby. His name's going to be John. He came to Mary and later to Joseph. There's going to be a baby of, of divine conception. And you're going to name him Jesus. And so today we're going to journey into Luke Three. Now, you'll notice we didn't get to finish out Luke 2. We have some time constraints here. Um, but Luke, the end of Luke 2, Jesus goes into the temple at the age of 12. And, and he ministers and teaches to those in the temple, and they're dumbfounded at his knowledge. Today, our story takes place 18 years after that. In the Gospels, the chronology is sometimes compressed, and so a lot of time can go by. Then when it gets to the ministry of Jesus, we sort of see time slow down, and and the Gospel writers focus heavily on there. But the public ministries of Jesus and John the Baptist are about to begin. Now remember this, Israel has not heard from a prophet in over 400 years. God has been silent in Israel The word of the Lord hasn't come through any prophet in Israel for 400 years. That's about to change as there's a voice crying out in the wilderness. If you've got your Bibles, Luke chapter 3, verse 1, let's jump in together. It says, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Ituria, of Trunchitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, you'll notice there's a lot of prominent names in that list. You've got Herod. You've got Pilate, you've got Caiaphas, you've got Annas. And all of those will play a prominent role as we move closer to the cross. As Jesus stands trial, all of these men will have a part in seeing Jesus executed by means of crucifixion. Annas was the previous high priest, 
held tremendous power in this land. Caiaphas is the current high priest. Both of these men were greedy, money-hungry, and corrupt. And what Caiaphas would do is when the people came to the temple to offer sacrifices, they would tell him, no, 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 your animal is not good enough. It has blemish. You have to buy one of ours. And they would charge them high prices. They would take their animal, use it to do the same thing to the next guy. And this is how they became extremely wealthy, extremely powerful. But this is the place where both John and Jesus enter into the public eye. And they both will be murdered for their ministry and their message. Let's begin this morning, if you're taking notes, by looking at the forefronter, forerunner of Jesus, a man crying out in the wilderness. I want you to notice the man, John the Baptist. Look at verse 2. It says, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, and he went into all the region around Jordan. From the wilderness, or the desert, this is where John steps into the picture. He's not teaching in the temple. He's teaching in the wilderness. And I think this was a direct pushback from all of the corruption that was taking place in Judaism. All of the problems that were there. The word of the Lord came to John. This is the idea that God was using John for a specific purpose. Just as we saw John leap in his mother's womb under the influence of the Spirit, so John is now still under the influence of the Spirit as he begins his ministry. And I think, you know, when you look at the ministry and the life of John the Baptist, um, many would be tempted to say, well, you know what? John wasn't a, a very successful individual. He didn't minister for very long. However, John was there to fulfill a very specific purpose, and he lived his life as he should in following the Lord. Another reason Luke mentions John in connection with the wilderness is to show that this is a prophetic fulfillment of Isaiah 40, chapter 3. Let me read Isaiah 43 to you. It says this. It says, a voice cries. <laughs> Tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Now Luke 6, and I quote Isaiah in a moment. Luke 3, 3, it says this. And he went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. We'll talk more about John's message in a moment, but John called for repentance. This was a difficult message for Israel because Israel thought, hey, we're good. We're good with God. Now, for long, many years, seasons, centuries, Israel flirted with idolatry. They would get distracted and worship other gods, but now they've swung the other direction. No longer steeped in idolatry, now they're steeped in legalism that if we do this and we do that, then we're good with God. John says, no, 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 that's not how this works. You need to repent. You need to get your heart right with Christ. Repentance and forgiveness. You can't have forgiveness without repentance. Now, if we rewind 30 years, I want to read to you what Luke 1, 76 through 77 says. This was John's father, Zechariah. Zechariah said 30 years ago, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people. And this is exactly what John is doing. John is offering hope for needy hearts. Jesus will offer hope 
for needy hearts because fundamentally we know this, that we're all broken, that we've all fallen short, that we can't undo the past, that there's things that we wish weren't there, but they're there and you can't undo it. You can't unscramble the eggs. This past week, we had a little extra time down to be with family and one night I was watching, you know, the classic Star Wars, A New Hope, and there's this scene, this iconic scene where R2-D2, little robot, projects this hologram and it's of Princess Leia, and she says, help us, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Then she says this, this iconic phrase, you're our only hope. Now, I'm a nerd for multiple reasons, but when I watch movies, it, it, things connect in my mind. And as I, as I heard that, you're our only hope, it connected in my mind what we see in Scripture, what we see John crying out, is that outside of Christ, that we have no hope. That there's, there's nothing else that can save me from my sins. There's nothing else that can give me meaning and purpose and found for me morality. And so John steps into ministry amidst a religious system that tried to make bad men good. Well, if you do this and this and this, then you'll be good. Problem is it doesn't work that way. Because we are corrupt in every part of our nature. And so Jesus comes to make dead men alive and we have life in Christ and so John preached repentance not being sorry for being caught because we live in a time where people want to do their their deeds in darkness their evil deeds but when those deeds come to the light we want to say oh my goodness I'm so sorry I shouldn't have done that but the truth is that's not repentance that's being sorry for getting caught repentance is saying God I'm sorry even for the things that I do that offend you that no one else knows about even for my faults, even for my emotions, even for my greed and the sickness of my heart. Look at verse 3. It says, And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Now, the baptism of John the Baptist wasn't the same baptism that, that we see today. Why is that? Because in baptism now, we celebrate, we identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But this is before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So why was God, John calling people to be baptized and repent? Well, in the Jewish faith, in Judaism, anytime a Gentile, a non-Jew, wanted to become a part of the Jewish faith, they had to be baptized. And so what John is doing is he's showing the Jews, you be baptized. And by doing that, they were saying, we're no better than Gentiles. We need a Savior. We need to repent before God as well. Verse 4, it says, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, he's quoting Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and high hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level waves, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now, check this out. Luke is quoting Isaiah, and this was written 700 years before John the Baptist. Now, sometimes in our lives, we want to say, God, I want to know what's up with your timing. Why are you taking so long? Look at this situation, this promise of one who would be the forerunner to the Messiah 700 years before the fulfillment would take place. God's timing is God's timing, but John was the fulfillment of that prophecy. And so this idea of preparing the way, of bringing the mountains low and making the paths straight, 
This was done in the ancient world anytime there was going to be a royal visit from a king. Somebody would go ahead, clear the road, make sure the road was smooth, make sure there was no debris. And John would do exactly that. He's preparing the way for Messiah. Now, we've looked at the man, John the Baptist. I want you to see his message. Now, I'm going to give you a warning here. John the Baptist's message, it's not seeker-sensitive. It is blunt. It is raw. And it stands on firm truth. I don't know if you're like me, but I like it when somebody gives it to me straight. What John gives us is not easy believism. It isn't God wants to give you everything you want and make your life so, so easy. Instead, it's you have a big problem and you need to fix it. And I have a big problem and I need to fix it. To receive the good news, we've got to hear the bad news first. Now, unfortunately, there are many churches in the United States what they get preached to them and taught to them is this palatable Jesus, this God that never wants to hurt your feelings. Well, that's not the God I see in the Bible. Every time I open scripture, God steps on my toes a little bit. Sometimes he even hurts my feelings and sometimes my feelings need to be hurt. And so what John gives us in his message are the characteristics of what true repentance looks like. Look at verses five and six with me. Characteristics of a true repenter. Characteristics of what true repentance looks like. He says this, Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. I want you to see this as we look at six characteristics of what true repentance looks like. A truly repentant person acknowledges their sin. He says, every mountain made low. That is to say, the proud must humble themselves and say, I need something that I can't get on my own. The crooked become straight. Many believe that John here is alluding to the crooked generation that was alive at this time. Real repentance acknowledges sin and is grieved by it. God, I'm sorry for my sin. May I not continue to do it. Though I will fail and stumble and slip up, God, would you help me to do right? Because I want to please you, and I don't want to invite things into my life that are going to hurt me, hurt my relationship with you, and hurt my relationship with the people around me. True repentance acknowledges sin. John would have us see this in verse 7, that a true repenter fears the wrath of God. He says, verse 7, he said, Therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Well, gee, John, that's not very nice. Why is John so saucy here? Because some came, perhaps even some were baptized, they didn't truly repent. They didn't let God change who they were on the inside. And it happens in church too. Some come to church, they like the benefits, but they don't repent. And you may say, well, what's the benefits of coming to church? Well, it's a social setting for many. I had one guy tell me one time, at least he was honest, he said, yeah, you know, I enjoy seeing people at church. It's, it's nice to do the God thing, he said. He said, but largely I come because it's a great place to make business contacts. And it is. That's not why we're here. And so you had some come and hear John the Baptist. They didn't truly repent. John specifically pushed back heavily on the religious elite who came to hear but didn't want to repent. So he says in verse 7, he says, The crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? The Jews were aware that God's wrath would come. They had experienced it in the past, but there's this future day of judgment as well. 
that God is loving, but he's also just, and those things are held in tension. And I find it interesting because some people will say, well, you know, I don't know why God allows evil. I don't know why he doesn't just deal with it and, 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 you know, erase the problem. And then out of the other side of their mouth, when you look at stories like Sodom and Gomorrah or the story of the global flood, they'll say, why is God so mean that he would do all of this and, and kill these people? Well, because God is both loving and just. John would have a C in verse 7 again that true repentance isn't based on works. See, the religious leaders taught that to be righteous, you had to achieve it. You had to keep the Sabbath, and you had to obey the law, and you had to celebrate the feast days, and you had to give alms to the poor. Let me ask you this. How good is good enough? How good do I have to be where the scales finally tip in my favor? Scripture says this. You'd have to be perfect. And here's what I know. I might be able to try to be as good as I can, but I'll never be perfect. And if righteousness requires that we be perfect, we'll never achieve it. And so John says you brood of vipers because the religious leaders thought like a bunch of snakes that they could slither into the baptism waters or do all of these things as a ritual and slide out and escape the fire and judgment of God. Jesus would echo John's warning. Let me read to you Matthew 15 verse 7. Jesus says, you hypocrites, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me? He says, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Repentance isn't just lip service or external actions. It's God doing something in our hearts. I want you to see this as well as we move into verse 8. A true repenter has a change in behavior. Now, here's a crucial distinction. Changed behavior doesn't lead to righteousness or salvation, but righteousness before God and salvation always lead to changed behavior. Old professor that I had many years ago, he would say this, that if there's no fruit in your life, there's no root in your life. That if God is not manifesting fruit in people to see it, now you may have itty bitty baby fruit, but if there's no fruit, if there's no change in your life or behavior, then you are not rooted in Christ. Look what John says. He says the same thing, Luke 3, 8. He says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and it's thrown into the fire. And the crowds ask him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. The tax collectors came to be baptized and said, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. The soldiers asked him, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. John says the axe is on the tree. The time to repent is now. Judgment will come. Jesus would say the same thing. Matthew 7, 19. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and it's thrown into the fire. So John gives us some examples of how repentant people, how their lives look different. He says if you're repentant, you love your neighbor. He tells the tax collectors, if you come to know Christ, you won't keep stealing from people. He tells the soldiers, if you repent... You're not going to abuse your power for your own 
privilege and you'll be content with what you have. Repentance means there is a, a change, that it's not just words that we say. We need to see in verse 8 again, a true repenter doesn't rely on others. John says in verse 8, bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. You see, the Jews thought God made promises to Abraham, we're a chosen nation, we're good. God and I, we are good. John says, no, repentance is an individual thing. It's not collective. Just because your father is Abraham or for us in our day, just because your mom and dad or your grandparents were Christians doesn't mean that you have a relationship with Christ. That's something individually we all have to do. Students, adults as well, this is a decision that you must make on your own. It must be your faith. Now we see in verse 15, Real repentance accepts Jesus as Savior. Look at it. It says, as the people were in expectation, and they were questioning in their hearts, John, whether he might be the Christ. And John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I, Jesus, is coming. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff will be burnt with unquenchable fire. John points to Jesus. He says, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. This was a a menial task for the lowest of slaves. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. He says, in fact, the one I baptize you with water that you should repent, but Jesus is coming and he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit or with fire. What do you mean, John? Well, we know when we come to know Christ that we receive his spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit. And if we don't come to know Christ, there's this judgment and baptism of fire at the end. Then he gives this illustration of this this wheat and this winnowing fork. What's that? Would harvest wheat, you would lay your wheat on a hard floor and you would get this pitchfork-like device and you would throw the wheat in the air and the wheat would fall and the chaff would blow away and then you would collect the chaff and you would burn it. And this is John's point that there's going to be this separation of those who know Christ and those who don't. to separate the chaff from the grain. And so John calls for repentance then, and that call still rings out. I ask you this morning, have you truly come to know Christ? Now quickly, last two points, amen? I want you to see John's gusto, his moxie, his guts. Look at verse 18. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. What happens? Well, John called out Herod publicly, a government official. And the reason he did so is because Herod divorced his wife. He went to visit his brother Locked his brother's wife, she married Herod, and they ended up in this incestuous relationship amongst Herod's many other sins. And so John had the nerve to do and to say what he believed was true. And what happens is Herod has him imprisoned, and not long after that, his wife will manipulate some circumstances to have his head removed. Now again, perhaps by many standards, some would look at John the Baptist's ministry, it spanned about a year. He didn't preaching any temples, spends time in prison, ends up a martyr. Perhaps you might look at John's life and say, you know what, his ministry, there wasn't much to it. But I want to remind you this, John was obedient, and that's what made John a success in the eyes of the Lord. 
Now, we may never preach to thousands. We may never spend years on the missions field. But here's what I know. If we live obedient lives, we live successful lives. If we simply do what God says, if we live a life that pleases him, if you love your spouse and have eyes for only your spouse, if you raise your kids in the honor and admonition of the Lord, if you are honest and work hard and live righteously and have no secrets and follow God in the day-to-day, you live a successful life regardless of what the world thinks and according to the world's standards. Now, Luke doesn't focus here on a chronological order. What he's doing is he's showing the ministry of John the Baptist, and then he's fixing to step into the ministry of Jesus. So what's fixing to happen, we're going to notice Jesus' baptism as we close. John does Jesus' baptism, but this is before John is in prison. Look at verses 21 through 22. It says, now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, not a dove, but like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, God the Father, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now why did Jesus get baptized? Perhaps we ask that question. Because Jesus had no sin. He needed no public declaration of repentance. As a matter of fact, John didn't want to baptize Jesus. He's like, why are you coming to me for baptism? Let me tell you the account of the story in Matthew's gospel. This is Matthew 3, 14 and 15. It says, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented to baptize Jesus. So Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? It means Jesus did what God said do, even though Jesus didn't need to do it because he wasn't a sinner. He still walked forward in baptism, even though he was already righteous because that was what God desired to be done. And by way of application for us, if we know Christ and we haven't been baptized and Jesus got baptized, even though he didn't need to in order to fulfill all righteousness, Perhaps God's message to us in obedience, we should also be baptized to show the world that we identify with the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord. That after salvation, baptism is the next step in obedience. But I also want you to know this. I want you to see this beautiful picture of the Trinity. Let me read it, Let me read it one more time. Verse 21. It says, now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. What we see here is a glimpse into the nature of God. That God is unique, he is unlike us and that he is one God in three persons. He's one what and three who's. In a perfect relationship, these three exist in eternity past. Jesus is baptized, the Spirit descends, the Father says, I am pleased with my Son. An incredible picture of the triune nature of God in Scripture. Now as we close out this morning, and as we close out this year in about 12 hours, I want to ask you, as we've opened God's Word, how, does God, how is God inviting you to apply this to your life? Because anytime we read God's word, we, we read it in context for what it is. But we also, also ask ourselves, God, how does this apply to me as a Christian in 2023, about to be 2024? What is God asking you to apply? 
It could be this morning that God is inviting you, as John the Baptist invited people in the countryside of Judea, to repent and to come to know him as Savior. Maybe you've been to church for years. Maybe you've learned to speak the Christian language because we say things that that non-Christians don't. Maybe you just sort of slide in. Maybe you do all the right things, but God has never worked in your heart. That you've never come to repentance. Today is the day. What What better way to close out the year? Perhaps you're here this day and you know that you know the Lord, but your life doesn't reflect that. Yeah, you have some fruit, but it's not what it should be. That God is saying, as we step into a new year, would you say, God, bring our relationship close. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to do better in next year. Maybe that's what God's calling you to do. Maybe God is inviting you to stand on truth and to be bold with your faith, as John the Baptist certainly was bold. Maybe he's inviting you to be loving and kind and to treat people well as we should according to Scripture, but also to love people enough to say the things that are true and to have a voice and to use it for good and for change in this world. Or maybe you're here this morning as we look at the baptism of Jesus and maybe you've known the Lord, maybe you haven't been baptized. I think God would say, take the next step in obedience. We constantly have to ask that as Christians, what's the next step for me to take? God, direct my paths. What do you have before me? As you know, church, we always love to spend time talking with you about what God's doing in your life and what God lays on your heart. And I just want to echo this one last time in 2023, that myself and the rest of our staff are available anytime to talk about what God's doing in your life. Or if you don't know the Lord, I would love to sit and talk with you about what it means to be a believer. And so church, 2023 has come and it's gone. And let me remind you of this, 2024 will be no different. Before you know it, we will be standing here again ready for 2025 to roll in. But church, I challenge you as we step into a new year, to live a life of obedience, wholly committed to the Lord.